Welcome to the Rad Friends Podcast, where we look at life's thorniest questions with some of our rad friends. Today, I'm joined by the incredible Carl Richards. He's an author. He's a friend. He is a, a spiritual teacher of mine. Um, mm. Great to have you here today, Carl. Thank you. That means a lot, my friend. Thank you. I'm super excited to do this. It's always fun. So today's question, and we'll, we'll, I've got a few questions leading up to the question, but today's yeah. question is why do we fear being ordinary? So I'm going to ask, so we're going to just we're gonna chill a bit and then we'll, we'll dive into the question. So I guess the first question I would ask you, Carl, is you, I know you're, you're, you're living in the mountains. You, you love being out in nature like myself. You surf when you're in, in, in my neck of, of the woods. When you, when you meet someone on a, on a trail and they're like, Hey, Carl, how do you, how do you spend your days? Mm. What do you, how do you answer that question? That's so hard. <laughs> I've really struggled with that question for a very long time, probably 15 years. Ever since I, I used to have this financial advisor practice, this business I built, giving financial advice that allowed me the shortcut of just saying I'm a financial advisor, but I, even then I wasn't so I've had various little jokes to kind of like distract, like throw people sent off the path, like as little as possible. Like, what do you do during the day? As little as possible. Like, you know, like, and, and I've recently, I've just settled on the idea. And this is so funny. Like, you're like this too. Like, why? It's a simple question. Why can't you just answer the question? It's always like all this thinking, but the, 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 what I've settled on recently is like, if you were to ask me that question 20 years ago, I would have just said I'm an author. Mm. And, and, and the reason for that disclaimer is now I, I feel like my job is to notice things in the world. And largely for me, it's around conversations. It's in conversation that I notice things. And it's largely around our relationship with money and meaning. Those two things. And I notice those things in the world. And then I, 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 I talk about my experience with them. If it was 20 years ago, the only artifact you would see of that talking would be called a book. Now there's other artifacts. So that's how I describe it. Oof. I, I love it. Thank you for the, the long drawn out and, and beautifully drawn out. Because yeah. I, I think I want to think about, I want to talk about the joke thing. Cause I used to, yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to make a joke too. And people would ask me, this was, I left eight years ago and they would ask me, what, what do you do now? They would say, what, I don't even ask what do you do, but same, same thing. And I would say, initially I would say, I'm, I'm fun employed. Right. So I would kind of def deflect with a joke. Yeah. I had a friend who is, he left corporate consulting to be a stay at home dad and his wife went back to work and he feels a lot of discomfort around not around being home with his kids. He's so ecstatic, but he, he feels the loss of a label right. is really disorienting for him. And he really takes it personally. It's hard for him. And right. so he, I saw him sign off on his email. He said, dad, sabbatical, dad, da dadical. I'm taking a dadical. And I think in the parentheses, it said dad yeah. plus sabbatical. Right. And so I went there when you were, what, if you were to deflect with a joke, yeah, what do you like? What's what's happening inside at the moment of the joke? Yeah, it's really it's it's super. This is why I, it's I love this 
question. I mean, it comes up with my kids all the time because my, my kids will say, I don't know what to tell my friends you do. Mm-hmm. And these are adult kids, you know? And, and so that's been really that the reason for the joke, what I'm feeling inside is that, that like, it's, I don't know what I do. <laughs> and, 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 and I wake up on good days. I feel totally great about it on other days. I actually have confusion around it. And especially if, and as long as I've been doing this, like the, the column, the New York times column ran for a decade every week. And so I, I got a lot of practice at public criticism and I criticism. I mean that in like the classic sense of the word, like most of the time, pretty thoughtful criticism, which was, was, was gold. So I, I got used to that, but on days when I'm feeling, you know, like a, a little low energy, you combine criticism, some criticism with like, you're not sure what you do and it can be relatively unmooring. You know, it's a lot easier in, in my head. At least it's easier if I like, I'm a, I'm an engineer and somebody, I get a bad job performance report. It still feels like at least I know I'm an engineer. Maybe I, I feel like a bad one, but I'm at least I'm an engineer. I, and I, I'm over exaggerating. I'm just grasping for straws here. But that, but here it's like, oh, what do I do? And am I who am I anyway? And all the imposter yeah. syndrome stuff comes in, and and then you're like, no. And then I I like I go into the mountains. It's like I I know to get up off the floor, go get on your bike or put on your trail running shoes and get into the mountains, and then be like. Okay, well, I don't really have a choice at this point. This is what I do. I notice things in the world around money and meaning and I talk about them. And I do it poorly often. And sometimes there's a, a, a hit, you know, like if I was playing guitar, most of them are not great, but every once in a while there's a good song. And that moment where there's a good song is worth it. So that, yeah. that that's that's kind of what's going on. I, I want to, the thing about your kids, you have adult adult kids, do you ever wonder, I wonder what, because my wife struggled with this too. You know, we just moved, we, four years ago, we moved to a new town. She goes to meet, a, you know, a bunch of school moms and they're like, oh, what does your husband do? Right. <laughs> and she's, she's, she doesn't know what to say. And it's like, I, I go through my own relationship with, you know, is my foundation or, wobbly or, yeah. or tight? But I feel bad, like that's my shit. Yeah, I feel bad yeah. when my shit impacts people right. that I love, right? And right. so is there ever a situation where, where your kid would be like, oh, he, maybe they make a pithy remark about what yeah. you do. And yeah. then their friends are like, roll their eyes and go, that's weird. And then all of a sudden yeah. your, your son or daughter feels very defensive. Yeah. You know, do you ever think about like not wanting to put them through the thing? Sure. Yeah. I, luckily, and this is just total fingers crossed, and there have been periods in my kids' life where this hasn't been true, but luckily all my kids think that I'm, I mean, like we're friends. Yeah. They kind of think I'm cool right now. <laughs> and, and and they're adult friends. They're yeah, adult well, kids. Like, that's they're amazing. Adults. They're, you know, my youngest is 18 and and she is proud of me. And that's, so it doesn't, it, she doesn't run into that like weird thing. She, she'll just be like, I don't know what he does. I know he talks and he does some podcasts and he writes books. So, but we've lately, we've really, we've really coalesced 
as I've coalesced around, like just saying to avoid this entire discussion with every single person you meet on the street, <laughs> I just say, I'm an author. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And if somebody wants to know more, I can say, well, what I said earlier. And, and, and if, if the kids can say that, then that makes it a little easier on them too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I, so I got two questions before, before yeah. we jump into the main event, because the first question is you have adult kids who treat you, who view you as a friend. Yeah. Now my kids are, are nine and six. If you had, and we have listeners across the continuum, you know, no kids to, you know, adult kids. What would be the one piece of advice you would give to, to me? And I ask, how do you, how can, how can my kids, what do I need to do so that in my twenties, my kids view me as a, as their friend? Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel. You hate advice question. No, I, feel, I handle the direct advice question. I feel like super lucky that it's turned out that way. And it was only recently, maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago that I read somewhere, I read, somebody was, had posted this like golden years thing. Like you only get this many days oh. and then they're gone. And there was, and, and there was even some like, don't waste it. And another one, I of my might friends, have been guilty of writing some of that. I read yeah, like the and magic we all window. Do, right? Like one of, one of my friends, Bryce Roberts, who's, yeah, runs a great, cool little firm called NDBC. Yeah. Bryce posted something around like, Hey, I'm not a big fan of the kind of the shame that sometimes we all feel he's like I love my adult kids and I was like oh my gosh I am so glad to hear somebody say that I wasn't I didn't do a great job back then I wasn't either like I was either not present or I was busy or I fell into the same trap or I didn't have the skills or whatever it was I take responsibility for it but I wasn't as present as I would have hoped and I'm now like I'm I, I'm enjoying this time way more, way more. So my only point is not that that's not good to enjoy. Mm -hmm. It's just that realize it doesn't end. And in some cases it can only get better. And, and the only thing I have to, the only, it's not even advice. The only experience I have that was replicatable was that I never gave up. I never gave up on me making mistakes and then going back and it was almost daily to the kid and saying, Hey, I screwed up right there. What you just watched was a guy who never got taught. I, I had no models. My dad was not around. My mom was busy. I had no role models. I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how. And what you just watched was somebody who loves you dearly and made, and I, 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 I probably said that a thousand times to the kids. And I would say, hey, thanks for helping me. And just recently I discovered my 21-year-old son. And I told him, like, you have taught me more about being a man than anyone else in my life. Because I had no one else. <clears throat> Except a scoutmaster and a soccer coach and, you know, like all those things. Like, I had a great life. I, it's, but no direct mentor. And so the only thing I have... The only experience I have with the kids was just to never give up on yourself in terms of mistakes and then model to them, hey, this is what it looks like when you make a mistake and this is the path back. And will you grant me the grace of continuing? Because they never said, and I mean, it's still happening, but they, they, they haven't yet said, 
that's enough. Like 77 times, sorry, 78th, yeah. you're out. So that's, that's all I've got. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. It's gonna, it's gonna, that's gonna sit with me for a while. And as I'm listening to you talk, I, you know, I'm a, I, at first I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, I write about the golden, I call it the magic window. It's some of my most popular posts. Some people know me as like the magic window guy, but you're making me realize that there is, there's a shaming, it can be seen as shaming. There's a shaming aspect to that. And I'm, I just said an awareness that obviously that's not my intent, but I'm always, you know, I think I, I'm very self-conscious when I put things online, like my goal, I never want to make anyone feel bad. You know, yeah. I want to be pro- thought provoking without sh- being shaming, shameful shaming. But I think about that often. So it's just, thank you for that. Well, other yeah, okay. I've never seen anything that you've ever written that would be, I, I know how thoughtful you are and, and those are not mutually exclusive things. It can be the golden years and yeah. there can be another yeah. set of golden years and another set of golden years. And, and I think you're right. We just, we'll, let's just all be careful about how we communicate that yeah. smart, but I've never seen anything that would indicate anything other than thoughtfulness from you oh thank you thank you and uh, and the other thing is i what that what you said brought up in me is i make mistakes around my kids a lot and i try my best to apologize but i've never actually communicated you know it will i never communicated like i fucked up here or i I, this is a mistake i'm trying to be better i've done it occasionally but it, it it doesn't feel as natural and what you made me realize is like, there's a clingingness from my ego that doesn't want to admit that I'm wrong to my kids in that moment where I've just yelled at them for no reason. Like literally yeah. it was my own shit that yeah. I took out on them. So, so I want well, to thank me, you. Yeah, you're well, let me be clear. Like it, 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 it sometimes takes some time. Yeah. Almost always. Like sometimes I'll be like, I mean, lately I've gotten a little better at like right then like oh my gosh like i can look at my daughter ruby and be like oh my gosh ruby did you see that i just got totally hijacked that was crazy but it, i mean this is that's a recent thing in the last couple of years it's over the last 10 or 15 years sometimes it takes a couple of days right like of me outside throwing things around riding my bike and finally coming around to like that was me i can't believe i did that again and then going back and so it's it's like and yeah, so far, even if it took a little time, so far I've been able to go back. Because if I don't, I saw, that's what happened, I think, to my my parents, is that it wasn't, there wasn't some big event. I think what happened is you just allowed one of those, right? You didn't metabolize one of those. And then it became a blockage, and then it became too much, and then it, you couldn't handle it whether... It just became the elephant in the room and then it was too big. And now suddenly everybody's fading away. And the, and the person metabolic is the, the critic, the parent or the child? No, you, you, you uh, have a thing that you did that caused conflict. And instead of metabolizing it, instead of like letting it work through, right? Like, like apologizing, work, instead of clearing it out, yeah. instead of atoning for it, instead of doing any of those words, right? Instead of clearing it out, we let it fester and then scar tissue grows around it. And now suddenly it's the thing and there's just like, it's too big of a deal. You can't mm-hmm. get rid of it. And I'm just like, man, I got to clear it out. I got to clear it out. 
It's you. So you use the phrase clear out. Do you think, do you, are you a, would you identify as a cerebral, like a heady or cerebral person? I, I would identify much stronger as a deeply em, a, 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 an empathic, like deeply feeling person. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, has that always been the case? I didn't know that, but yeah, I, it's only recently that I've been, I've understood like the things when I was a teenager or junior high and I would show up with big feelings <laughs> and I'd look around and be like, oh, this apparently isn't safe, right? This isn't <laughs> the way you behave. But I've only recently been more comfortable with that idea of like, I can walk in a room and see it drives me uh, it drives me bonkers. If I ever say anything that makes somebody feel bad, I can see them go out into the world and I see that pain, right? And I want to clear it up as soon as possible, which, which, so anyway, yes, I, that's a recent discovery. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, the reason why I ask is I've done, I've done a lot of different like talk therapy modalities, life coaching, a lot of talking basically. Right. And I was talking to a friend who is much more of the kind of feeler path. I think it would fall under an umbrella called somatic healing or somatic mm -hmm. therapy, which I don't really know much about, but somatic, mm -hmm. somas is the body. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I said, what I, what I turned to him and I said is, you know, I think I've talked my way through, like talking is no longer that fruitful for my issues, which kind of leads to, there's a lot of kind of somatic therapy, internal family systems, IFS is one that I've, but again, I'm, I'm reading a book on feeling based therapy. And so it was, it was just a very interesting thing. Cause I, I identify as so cerebral. I will, why do you feel this? Why do you feel this? Do you feel this for this way? What if it, what would happen? You know, it's just like, it's just words, 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 words. I was, I was on a psychedelic journey the, the a couple, like two months ago. And I basically met another version of myself oh, oh. and we just talked for six straight hours, wow. but it was all words. Just wow. talk, 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 talk. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Why would you know, like, and it was, it was very, very healing. And my wow. wife, who's a feeler, who's also with me, she just felt her body for six. Like there was no talk, yeah. there was no words, so there beautiful. was silence. And so mm. I'm sharing this more in my, in my own journey, I'm trying to to learn more because I do feel like talking, it's not useless, but I, I feel like diminishing returns from just mm -hmm. real, why the question we're going to talk about, why do you fear mm -hmm. being or I feel like it's, I need to feel it more than logic my way through it because mm -hmm. it, it leads to, to dead end. But I would imagine in your world of money, money management, talking to people about money, do you, do you encounter more of the thinkers or more of the feelers? Yeah. One of the things I've been becoming increasingly clear about, I mean, the answer to your question is more of the thinkers. And one of the things I've been increasingly clear about is like, in fact, in my most recent series of speaking engagements at investment conferences, right? Like technical, you know, market analysis market forecasts, how to use spreadsheets, like, and I'm the closing keynote. And I've found that like taking a minute to get people out, like intentionally I've taken people through a meditation to get them out of their heads and into their hearts. Like, Hey, we've had enough thinking and talking. Can we just feel for a bit here? 
And I think that's what's missing from our relationship with money largely is like just an intuitive sense of like, how does it feel and what? So I'm, I'm very, very aware of that. And it's one of my, it's on my 10 year goal yeah. plan. It's hung up on the wall over there. More feeling. Oh, less more feeling. Do you, has anyone, any person or school of thinking, any, anyone influence you in that? Pema children. Pema children. And when things fall apart, which is just, that's the single greatest audio book ever recorded. I think. You're the second guest that has written that has recommended that book out of yeah. six episodes. And so the, audio, that... the audio is just like, I, I'd still do it. It's one of my, I'm trying to take more, I'm trying, this, this year I'm trying to read more of the same books again, mm. not new books. And Pema's, I think I've read it. I don't know how many times I, what I do is I listen to one chapter in my warm up before like a two hour mountain bike ride. I'll listen to one chapter, which is like 15 minutes. And then I, no more stuff in my ears while I ride. So I just let that thing. So Pema Children, and in a strange way, and I want to be careful about this because I just feel like everybody, but I've been a long time fan of Rick Rubens. Oh, yeah. And watching sort of Rick kind of feel his way through the world mm -hmm. is fascinating. And, you know, he implicitly, or, you know, the, he gave all of us permission with his answers to Anderson Cooper. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know anything about music. I know what I feel. And that's for some reason been valuable to people. That's super cool. So I've tried to lean more into that. But you've, you're giving me like huge goosebumps because yeah. I, I too like Rick Rubin has become a bit of a meme trope meme. <laughs> yeah. Where and not, I, no fault of his. No, I know yeah. like he, yeah. he, he couldn't give a fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will say I haven't seen the Anderson Cooper one. But I heard him on, I, I, I specifically went to listen to, for, for those who don't know who Rick Rubin is, he's a legendary producer of he's all genres, but he doesn't take the path of, like he's, he's, he doesn't take the technical path to music or the path that you would think. But he has a great interview with Krista Tippett on, yeah. on being, and I specifically Cause she's like, I don't care about the music. I don't care about the Beastie yeah. Boys. I don't care about the, you know, right, right. Red Hot Chili Peppers. How do you feel X? How do you, and, yeah, uh, and so it's good. been really, it's been really powerful for, he, he actually inspired this podcast for me mm. because, you know, it, it, in, in many dimensions, like this podcast doesn't make business sense for Rad Reads. Podcasting is a long motherfucking game. It's, it's hard, you know, it's hard for a variety of different reasons, but I just felt cold to have these powerful conversation with wise people. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Right. And, and, you know, him, you know, I, it's almost hearing him say like, ah, oh, I don't care about the sampler or what, what, you know, what, what mixer you're using. He's like, right. I just, I just feel it. And I just go, you know, yeah. I go, I trust myself. And so I, I thank I thank Rick and for kind of giving me permission to to not put all of my creative work into like this is the container for here this is the container for here and just be more free with it. There's such a great line from When Things Fall Apart, and I I used to know the exact chapter, and I want to say seven, and I remember exactly where I was when I first heard it. I was in London. 
during the pandemic, we lived there. We had moved, we were in New Zealand for four and a half years and we moved to London just in time for the pandemic to start. And it was rainy and I was out on my one hour allowed outside time by myself. You know, that was like the rule. And I was under a street lamp. And so it was like, it was night and it was raining. So you can imagine like it's right on the movies, like the cone of light from the rain falling. So underneath the street lamp, listening to the one chapter, that's all I could handle. I, I would suggest only one chapter at a time. It's so brutal and it's dismantling of what you think you know. And Pema children, now keep in mind, right? Height of uncertainty in the pandemic. I'm, a fi I'm, I'm giving advice, helping financial advisors navigate uncertainty and giving advice. Like it's the most uncertain thing I could ever imagine. And I'm sitting there listening to Pema children and she says, We've tried a thousand times. We've tried a thousand times to tie up all the loose ends. And yet the ground is still shifting beneath our feet. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got the thousand spreadsheets. Like none of them say this. <laughs> and so I'm now like, that was my first understanding of like, we have a, we have a, we have an operating principle, a set of operating principles at Behavior Up headquarters called the code. And the code is a set of first principles plus all the how to do like methods. So it's like mindsets and methods. And one of the mindsets is groundlessness is that if we ever feel ground beneath our feet in the projects we're working on, it may not be a project for us. And if we engage in any activity where we're trying to get ground, like Tell me the metrics. Tell me the things. Tell me. I, I now recognize that. It, sometimes it takes me a day and I have to go back to the team and say, oh, don't go do. In fact, yesterday, my COO said to me, I could do that for you, but it would be a charade. <laughs> like if you want a charade, if you want to play startup and like pretend like you have the law of physics here. And she was just like, remember groundlessness? I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I think we have, you have a friend that, the pathless path is pointing at the same thing, right? Mm. So anyway, I'm sorry for the I rant, love but that. It's yeah, super it's important to me. Groundlessness, beautiful. All right, so let's let's dive into the main event. So before we, we're gonna jump into our question: Why do we fear being ordinary? For our listeners, if you want to jump into these kind of questions with like-minded folks, check out radreads.co/coaching. All right, Carl. Why do we feel, why do we fear being ordinary? Maybe a starting question. Do you fear being ordinary? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. And partially I have a fundamental belief that we all have a thing. When I use that term, that's a term of art for me. It's meant to imply like lower the pressure. Like, I don't want to say we're all artists. We all have a passion. We all like, we all have a thing. And that the world is better for not only us, but for everybody else around when we're doing it. Like, I like living in a world where there are other people doing their thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm thing agnostic. Like I, I don't really care. I just am super jazzed. Like you're way into badminton. I'm, I could care less about badminton, but I'm super into you because you're into badminton. Right. And so when I start thinking about being ordinary, 
part of me is like, I just want to be ordinary. Like, I don't want, like, why can't I just have a job where I say I'm an engineer? Back to our earlier conversation. But the other part of me is like the biggest fear is I've felt, I've felt the feeling of doing my thing. I've felt that feeling and I feel it often. It's scary. It's exhilarating. It's flow. It's all those words that it's I like. Karma. Yeah, smart people show up all the time and go, hey, that's cute. Here's the word for it. Like, it's all those words. And I don't think that's ordinary. I think it's extraordinary. And I, and I wish when I see other people do it, I'm like, oh, like I can, I can kind of even tell the people. Like they have this little look in their eyes, like they're up to something. And it's slightly <laughs> mischievous. Right? And, and that is not ordinary. Like when I sit at a conference and there's 500 people there, most of them kind of look at their phones and look ordinary. And every once in a while you'll see the ones that aren't. And that, that to me is what I think life is about. So that, that's where I go with ordinary. That's I don't know great. if I'm on the right path. Ah, well, that, I mean, something like this, there, there is, there is no path. And so is it, so the thing you, I lo, I love how you use the, the word thing, cause it's a little disarming, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Passion yeah. is, is too large, create, creative, create, like creative. Words. Yeah. And so I, I do, I, it does remind me of, 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 of Dharma, right? And I've been rereading the Bhagavad Gita or mm-hmm. it's like your Dharma is to, is your duty right now. It's like your duty to go fight a war. It's your duty to be a dad. It's kind of like the work. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the, the question, let's, let's run down the path of the thing is, so does that imply that everyone should be seeking their thing? It's like my favorite question because I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where the boundary conditions are. I I want to believe, I want to believe that everybody has a thing. I want to believe that the world's better when we are actively engaged in it and or seeking it. And at the same time, I know like follow your passion can be very dangerous advice. Yeah. So I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. I, I've been haunted by, I was just thinking, as you mentioned, Dharma, I was just thinking of a Lao Tzu quote that's been haunting me, which is be who you really are and go the whole way. You know, and I, I don't know, I've, Casa said something kind of similar, but he was like, my mom wanted me to be a, my mom wanted me to be an attorney. My dad wanted me to be a doctor. I ended up being Picasso, you know, and I, 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 I don't, so it, it, to me, is it about seeking or is it about stripping away? Is it about, and, and, and the other thing I'll have to say about like the thing is it doesn't have to be heroic and it may not be yeah. singular. Yes. You know, like the thing could just be, hey, I want to start taking Fridays off at three to be with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Like the thing could be, I'm going to sell everything and move to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Fine. It, it doesn't have to be something agnostic. It doesn't have to be singular and it doesn't have to be heroic. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't even know if it's a good idea. I just know it. I want to believe that it is. Holy, I, I, heroic really 
landed with me because I think a little bit like follow your passion. It's like your thing is, and, and, and that's actually been, you know, when I said I'm not excited about the traditional containers for some of my activities, I haven't felt such a strong pull to write a book. Everyone's like, oh, you love writing. You're a decent writer. Write a book. You have an audience, write a book. And I haven't felt, and in part, I haven't felt that pull. So I'm very aware to not not do things where there's like a pull like this. I felt so much more pulled to do an eight episode podcast pilot right. than to write a book proposal. So I did the Ed podcast <laughs> like, yeah, and then yeah. called it a day. But I think that there's something in it too that, you know, maybe, and this is my own work, something like a book feels actually very heroic. Mm. It's a very heroic thing. And I know a lot of great authors and there's something daunting about the, the heroic nature of a, of a book. You know, I, I turn to, to you, you're, you know, you're writing for the New York Times. I look at this person. And so I don't really have a, 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 a statement, so to speak, but I do think permission for it to not be heroic, right? Because I think when people hear follow your passion, they're like, I need to eradicate polio. <laughs> and if I don't eradicate polio, right. I can't just like have a nice garden. Right. Because someone out there is eradicating polio. They're awesome. Again, my words, and we can talk about my monologue on this. They're out there eradicating polio and K's surfing every day. And and my thing, one of my things is surfing. Right. And I I think that I love it. I'm at peace with it. But there are definitely moments where I wonder, I'm like, should I be doing... A little yes. bit more to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm talented. I know people. <laughs> Should my thing be a little bit more generative, so to speak? Yeah. That's where the her- heroic, heroic. Yeah. Hey, super interesting. Her- we were watching, I'm a big fan of Bourdain's work and, and the way in which he did it. And I was watching the Bhutan episode of parts unknown last night and i paused it and said to my wife every time i watch like you know some faraway country i think what are we doing here you know like what are we doing sitting in park city utah you know like and and i I, that's been a constant tension for me of like should you run off to some far-fetched land to do whatever it is that everybody says, and I'm using huge air quotes for those of you who are just listening, right? And we all know the problems that come from that idea of like running off to save other people or even the the lesser version of like the poverty tourism version of it. Like it it's, turns out it's really challenging to, to do anything like that in, in a way that's actually helpful. I remember when I was struggling with this once and I went to, I, we have a, I have a friend who's a, he was actually my child psychiatrist when my parents got divorced. I'd known him since I was eight. So we're going on whatever that would be, 42 years of of meeting almost every month. And, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I said this to him. I'm like, geez, like, why am I here just helping people with money make better decisions with money? Like, seriously? And then riding my mountain bike. And he was like, because those are your people. And, and their problems are this comparative, Brene Brown calls it comparative suffering. It is, is of no use. 
right? And I, that was like really helpful to me to be, to understand like, I was put in a position here in, in our town as the head of our, like the, the, the volunteer head of our church. So I was like, I was like, there was like 500 people who saw me as their clergy, as their bishop. And we lived, our, our congregation geographically organized was probably one of the wealthiest in the country because it included some areas of, of parts of Utah up in the mountains, sort of like Aspen style, you know, Vale wow. style. I remember complaining about it, like, seriously, I'm going to help this person. They had this problem. And I was complaining to my same buddy. And he's like, do you think it's a coincidence that you are in that position with your relationship with money and these people's problems, we all know the loneliness and the emptiness and it's first world problems and all those things that can come with money, right? Well, for better or worse, those are my people. Like, and so I have to be okay with my job might not be as heroic as moving to some place and helping some do something or and, and, and it might be, and I've, I've, I've actually taken, I, I got about 500 emails in response to a column when I asked people what they thought their thing was. And it was a, amazing. And there were some that were just like, I mean, some of the most touching ones were like, I'm the secretary of the soccer club. I've been the secretary for seven years. Nobody ever asked me my opinion but I have more institutional knowledge than anybody else in the room. I just want permission to raise my hand. Right? Like my thing is just, could I just raise my hand in the next meeting? Right. And the, the leave on Fridays to be with my daughter was, a, was one of those emails. And so was like move to Ireland and write poetry in the castle. Mm. Fine. Like eradicate polio. Heroic. <laughs> Go do it. But it doesn't have to be. So I'm thinking agnostic. It doesn't have to be singular and it doesn't have to be heroic. And how do you, you work with, you know, wealthy, privileged individuals, you interact with them. If they are stuck and they come to mm -hmm. you like, Carl, I, I love, I, I believe in it. I love everything. I don't know what my thing is. Help mm -hmm. me find my thing. Yeah. I just did a whole 90 minute workshop last, <laughs> it was literally on Thursday. So four days ago. Help me find my thing. It was workshop. called, it was called finding your thing. And it. It's hard, but to me, one of the most helpful, it's funny because the notes from that workshop are still on my desk. <laughs> uh, one of the things that, and I don't know who made up this exercise, but it was about mining the mountain, like the peak moments of life. And so I always called it the Stoke file. So I like, my idea is like, just start to pay attention. Start to pay attention. I, I, the way I started paying attention to this, I didn't know what I was doing is I created a Stoke file. And literally like in my desk drawer, there was a file and it was labeled Stoke. And whenever I would feel it, and you know the feeling, it's like, like a lot of your listeners will relate to, you know, like listening to Kobe talk hmm. or, you know, seeing an amazing, like uh, maybe like Adele perform. You know, like somebody who's clearly like they are, they, they are who they are. And as Lao Tzu says, they went all the way. Like, you know, you, you can feel it. it Rick Rubin's documentary with the Ava brothers, the last song when they, when they played no hard feelings, like you, you can feel it. I used to think when I would see that I was confused because I used to think it meant I needed to do that thing. <laughs> like I'm going to be a concert pianist. Right? Like I would watch a concert pianist, John Schmidt play. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go. Well, no, 
what I now think is that's just pointing. That's just a reminder. Hey, 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 hey. Like, and then I would just pay attention. Like, where have you, here's what we, here's what we wrote. Write about a peak moment in your life. Describe in detail, not just once I was in a play at school, but what, when you, when you're having moments of joy, flow, excitement, a sense of, here's my favorite phrase, a sense of, I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now. And then give yourself permission to be really gentle. Like I call this dancing with dragons. Like don't, don't shut it down, but you don't need to run out and do anything either. Like just, what if you just wrote it on a three by five card? Like I always love fish. Like I have a buddy who wants to start an aquarium shop and this was his thing. And he was like, just shoved it down. He's an accountant. Mm-hmm. Be responsible. Shove it down in a titanium, like, capsule, like, so you'll never feel it again. And I was like, what if you just wrote down, open an aquarium shop? And, like, just dance with it. Just show it you love it. Right? Just show it that you're open. And uh, to me, just, and then put it in your stoke file. Yep. Just start to notice when they show up. Then step two is, I call it trial balloons. Just try little experiments, right? And, and that's all it is. Like, just try little experiments. You're never going to know. You're never going to have complete information before you can act. Just little experiments. I think I want to sail on a sailboat when I retire. Have you ever been on a sailboat? You know, like just a little yeah. experiment. So funny. We had the, we had Paul on and, and this wasn't a thing, but we were, I was talking about one of the kind of financial goals that I had was to buy a, to have a Porsche. Right. But the funny thing is I'm not a car guy at all. I just think they're beautiful when I see them yeah, yeah. on the street. And so I was Free, like, paying art. attention. They're like art, like no other luxury car moves me at, at all. But I was like, uh, oh, there's agree, a thing. Actually. And Paul said, why don't you, first he said, he looked it up. He's like, it's 86 grand. Like, why don't you go buy one tomorrow? And I was like, oh, okay. In my head, it was like 200,000 or something like that. And then I immediately started to make excuses. Like, why well, we're renters, so we don't have the, the, the cord to charge it. We, our driveway's on an incline, the clearance. I, I actually found out that they have like, you know, the clearance can go up and down. So basically all my excuses were, he's like, you can rent one tomorrow on Turo for $200. Yeah. And beautiful. I kept saying, no, 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 no. Cause it actually, I love the idea when the yeah. actual thing was in front of me, yeah. I actually didn't want it. Yeah. I just wanted the, I, I just was in love with the idea. Yeah. So had I launched a trial balloon, yeah. maybe I, I would actually have gone and t- rented it on a, t- on Turo and been like, oh, this is fucking rad. Or, eh. Yeah. I, and like, your $200 experiment would have told yeah. you a lot, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think people... You know, I, I love the the thing is like things not on a pedestal. It's not heroic. It's not, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't. And then, but hang it, you know, it's, it sounds so basic, yeah. but there's a, there's a truth to it. I think a lot of definitely my listeners, maybe a lot, I don't know about your audience, but I think a lot of my listeners, are, they're just not paying attention. Yeah. No, I think we all, we all have been so numbed. Mm-hmm. To not, and I really think it's in the body back to your yeah. point. Like, I really think the stoke file is much more made up of feelings than it yeah. is of thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can learn, to, like I know the feeling now, and I have designed my life around often and repeated exposure to that feeling, mm-hmm. and it's scary. Yeah, and I can, and, and with with real intentional breaks in between, because I will be under resourced if I did it nonstop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But but it, it's like training for a big bike race. Like I got to do high intensity stuff, and I got to rest. And I think the feeling of just like, you know, slight, slight groundlessness, there's no ground beneath your feet. Oh no. And I think when you notice that, like, I'm really moved by that. Like I I have friends that like food is the thing. And I have friends that music is the thing. And I have friends that like their kids right now are the thing and art. And they're sometimes you're really, the other thing that's interesting about it is like, don't confuse just because it's your thing doesn't mean it will necessarily be easy i i like the 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 distinction between hard and heavy Hmm. like i don't find my thing to be heavy yeah but it's often hard yeah yeah so I, i i like that distinction it doesn't have to something can be really hard and not efforted Hmm. you know not graspy and I, yeah. like playing with that stuff navigating i have no clue how to do it i just mm-hmm. know i'm i know it i know it in my body much more and i'm as guilty as anybody man like it just the radio on on the way home the, all the time but man if i can get better at just like feeling my way through things oh god i I think about that often, you know, Stephen Pressfield has the resistance. Mm, sure. And, you know, I've, I do, especially online, I'm always careful if it's the resistance where it's kind mm. of the creative resistance where you, you, you do need a, to break through, right? And then there's just the heaviness, like this thing sucks. Yeah. And I think that's, I feel very lucky that I can very quickly be like, this is creative resistance. Like, you need to go a little, just keep going. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'm like, you just don't like this thing. And I just, I move on to the next thing. And so I, I love, you said mm-hmm. heaviness versus hard. Uh, heavy or hard. Is it heavy or hard? Yeah. And so I think there, but again, it keeps coming back to that awareness. Yeah. Right. Cause you could just, if you didn't have that felt sense, you could just be this struggle, struggle bad. Right, but it's right. like the texture of struggle. Is this this like meandering kind of delicious struggle? It's still struggle, or this kind of you know Dikembe Mutombo like slap the ball out of your <laughs> out of your face struggle, right? Which is a very different kind of struggle, which is kind of yeah. de- deadening and demoralizing. Yeah, I, I totally remember misinterpreting that for a really long time, and it's natural, like especially like the strain of imposter syndrome that I am familiar with i thought that was a stop sign and 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 everything changed when i learned to feel it yeah because i would i would subconsciously feel tightness in the chest concern worry and of course those are genetically what that's genetic wiring to keep me safe from a lion like of course i should follow that and and it wasn't until I re- I was like, oh, wait, what's that feeling? Oh, that's interesting. And then I would look around and make sure there were no lions. And then I would realize like, like Brene, I think, no, Elizabeth Gilbert talks a little bit about like, 
it's a little bit like that strain of fear is sort of like a crazy uncle that is allowed to come on the trip, but isn't allowed to drive. <laughs> so instead of like, it's like in my terms, like I, I love the like kick fear in the teeth. Like, no, that, that feeling has actually kept me alive. And I bet it will again, given the nature of some of the activities I engage in outdoors. I bet that feeling will keep me alive again during my lifetime. I mean, it, it did last summer. I don't want to kick that in the teeth. I just need to know where it's maladapted for the environment and say to it like, hey, bro, like I actually, this is funny, but I actually use Mr. Burns is the personification of that feeling for me. Justin Castelli, our mutual friend, sent me Mr. Burns after hearing the story that now I, now I personify it. Like when Mr. Burns shows up, I'm no longer like, when I said I designed my life, I actually try to design my life around Mr. Burns showing up as often as possible. Because he's always at the best parties. Hume. Every cool thing I've ever done in my life, he was in the crowd. And he was saying to me, wait till they find out who you really are. And I would be like, hey, bro, there's no lions here. Let's get to work. Can you, can you tell? Because I know myself, even six months ago listening to you. So you're, you're about to give a talk and, and you have imposter syndrome lead, you know, maybe in the prep room. And putting words in your mouth mm -hmm. and you go in to your body and feel it. Can you actually describe what that is that your breath or like, can you yeah. describe to our listeners what that actually yeah, like that, looks the, like? Yeah. So speaking I, when, when Mr. Burns, like that discovery finally was, and I have a similar door right there. I had a frosted door where I used to write the column in the office. I'd write the column for the times and I'd have this deadline and I'd get that and I'd hit, I'd go to hit send. And outside that door, I just see the shadow of a person in my mind. I couldn't tell who it was. You couldn't tell it was male or female, just a shadow because of the frost. And, and I would, in my mind, the door would open and I'm just a kid from the hills in Utah, right? Like I'm using a Fujitsu snap scanner. Like I have no, I've never taken a writing class or an art class. And he would open the door and just be like, is this Utah? Are you, is that a Fujitsu snap scan? You know, like, wait till they find out. And yeah. then he would like laugh and close the door. And that happened. And I was like, oh, just push through it, just push through it, just push through it. And then one time I was at a, the beginning of a mountain bike race or a road bike or something, some outdoor activity. And I remember feeling the same thing. And, and then that was when I was like, and then the kicker was South Africa, my first big speaking engagement. I think there was 3000 people in this, this audience thing. And I walked out before for the, the audio check and was like, I looked around and was like, no way. And walked back backstage yeah. and I, I stopped and I was like, what are you feeling right now? And my son would describe it as an anxiety, but I think it's tightness in the chest. It's a little bit of like shortness of breath. And the thing is normally it would be subconscious, it'd be happening, but I wouldn't be aware of it. And that's when you're like lying in the bush, shut it down. You got to get out of here. You're going to die. Right. And, and, but when I started to realize, wait, it happened at the bike race. Wait, oh my gosh, it happened at my wedding and the birth of my first daughter, the birth of every one of my kids. And it happens every time I go to give a talk, every time before this episode, a micro version of it, where I was like, oh, she's one of my, I don't even know. Okay. So thoughtful. Like, like, so it's in chest, it's a shortness of breath. I can feel it between my shoulder blades, but it's all in the body. And now I can go, 
I, I can feel and my shoulders hunch over. If you're seeing the video, you'll see it like my shoulders. This is somatic, like shoulders hunch over. And now I learn, like when I feel this, I can just go, ah, oh, right. And open everything back up and be like, Mr. Burns, I'm so glad you're here. Like, it must mean we're about to do something cool. It may not work, but we're, it must mean we're about to do something cool. Like, let's get to work. That's an old, sorry, that's way longer than you wanted, but there, yeah. Cara Brock tells a story of Mara, who was like the trickster devil, right? Yeah. Playing trouble at the Buddha speaking and it, to a big group of people under the Bodai tree and, and out in the bushes behind Mara's like causing trouble out there. And one of the Buddha's attendants comes up. I love this story. The Buddha's attendant comes up and says, Buddha, Mara's here. Like with all this concern, Mara's here. And he's, the Buddha said, reportedly said, oh, good. Invite her for tea. It's like, man. So now Mr. Burns, it's like, mm. oh, come in for tea, brother. Mm. Like we're about to do something cool. And that all to me comes from like noticing and then opening back up and being like, oh yeah, that's right. I think too, that's beautiful because I've only just started doing this in the past six months. The thing that it gives me too is it just gives me a little separation from it, like a little space. It's almost like a right. little mini moment of mindfulness and where you're like, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still yeah. safe. I feel yeah. loved. No one's going to yeah. kill. There's no lions, right? You're just right. like, but I still, I honor this feeling. For me, it's also in my upper chest. Like I, yeah. I honor this feeling that yeah. I have in my chest. Can I tell so, you one more story? Yeah. yeah, please. Rob Bell, who lives in your neck of the woods. I a pastor? Um, yeah, he was a pastor. And then he left this, you know, he built like the biggest church in the country at age 26. Like, I don't have all the details right, but it was yeah. a very big church and he was in his 20s. And I talked to him about imposter syndrome. I interviewed him once about imposter syndrome. And he told us this, he tells this story because now he's doing like workshops on how to write and, and how to, I think he does a workshop called something to say, like how to find your creative voice. And he, he does these shows at, I don't know where they are, but they're in LA, like famous comedy shows. Uh -huh. So now he's walking onto a stage with like, there's no pulpit there. So I was asking him like, well, when you go on the stage and there's just a mic stand and a stool, like what, cause he, he told the story that he was leaving, he had this dream when he was the pastor of this big church in his 20s, huge church, he's in charge. And he had this dream that he was driving home from the church one night and a police car pulled up behind him in his dream and the lights and he pulls over and out of the car gets God. And God walks up and he said, he just made the universal sign for give me the keys. And like the look on his face was essentially like, who told you you could drive? Yeah. And then he would wake up and I was like, okay, what, it, what, tell me about walking onto a comedy, onto a comedy stage where there's no pulpit, none of your normal stuff you're used to. And he was like, I said, what do you do in those moments? And he's like, oh, I, I feel it. And then he was like, and then I, t I said, do you have a mantra or something that you do? And he's like, yeah, the mantra is you've done this a thousand times. Yeah. And I was like, Rob, but you have it. He's like, no, 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 not the comedy show, the feeling. Yeah, which is so cool. So I call that version of imposter syndrome, I call that version the never ever, the archetype. Like, no, sorry, sorry, the never this. Never this. Oh, so yeah. there's a never ever, 
which like you kind of are an imposter. Fake it till you make it, learn, keep going. Like, and then there's the never this, which is like you've been through, right? Because you were the man over here. And now you're like, I'm going to be groundless, follow the pathless path. I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody knows I don't know what I'm doing. But the feeling's the same. I know how to navigate uncertainty. So anyway, sorry for the long stories I today. Know, so I, many I good love ones. that. Never this. God, oh God, the, the picture of God. Give like, me the key. Give me the keys. <laughs> did he leave? Did did he leave the church or he just stopped? Yeah, he. I don't know all the details behind that. No. There's a lot been written on. I just loved his stuff since yeah. the church is my, since the like church. His, everything a spiritual book is amazing and oh cool. Yeah, a, a lot of his uh, his his talk. You would love the way he he has like a forty foot long whiteboard on stage. Oh wow, like a TED talk or something on everything is spiritual, and he just oh. covers the whole whiteboard over the course of an hour. Ooh. It's really beautiful. Anyway, oh, man. Oh. All right, I'm, I'm going to not pivot you, but I'm going to extend the ordinary because, okay, so everyone has their thing, mm -hmm. but some people want their thing. Some people want other people to care about their thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and some don't. And I'll tell you, because mm -hmm. I've told people what some people. A lot of my listeners, why am I scared to be of being ordinary? I think you, you shared it. There's like kind of living my potential, again, paraphrasing, mm -hmm. finding my thing, finding my aliveness. But the other side or another version of that coin is giving me goosebumps is if I'm ordinary, then I didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's kind of where my, when I hear that question, it's mm -hmm. like, Ooh, ordinary means not special and not special means unworthy of love, unworthy, unsafe. Mm. Like, so it's, it's, it's so fascinating to see your, where you went with it and, and to show, and I know that many people in my group, my listeners feel this, like, if I'm ordinary, then I'm irrelevant. You know, all these negative words come out that I think ultimately tie to feeling Feelings of safety, feelings of love, and feelings like a, a moment, like fearing e egoic death. But that's mm -hmm. kind of, and so as I was thinking about hearing you mm -hmm. talk about the things, I, you know, I, I, I'll play my listeners view. They're watching a Kobe video and Kobe's so dedicated, but what they're seeing is they're like, how can I use Kobe's dedication to inspire me, to give me flow so that I can achieve a level of greatness that other people recognize. That's where, that's why I think there's so much of the hustle porn, you know, Kobe porn, whatever. It's like, it's not the appreciation for the beauty he had for his craft. It's almost like a place of fear. It's like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not grinding hard enough. I'm not sacrificing mm -hmm. enough. Let me watch a Kobe video so that I could achieve that level of greatness. And I think it's conflicting. Some of it is in the joy of the pursuit, but other is because I want other people to know that I'm a talented X. Mm -hmm. I'm great at Y. I'm really good at Z. I think that there is, definitely for me, like, there, there is a, an element of wanting people to know mm -hmm. that I am talented, 
smart, special. I think the words change from time to time mm-hmm. because it means that I matter. It means that I am worthy of love. And I think the, mm-hmm. the mattering, that, that's taken a while to, to that's, that's where the you know, eight years of talk therapy have like started to really make it quite clear. How would you, Kay, how would you know if you mattered and how would you, and how much mattering is enough mattering? think that there, there is a cheap way of knowing it. And the cheap way would be, you know, things like followers and, you know, how cheap many people or artificial. Yeah. Artificial. It's mm-hmm. probably a better, better way. Money even can be an artificial way. Mm-hmm. And so that was, so that would be, that's kind of where part of me goes. And another part of me goes to, did I love well? Mm-hmm. And who would do that? How would you know? That I believe is just, I feel like I know, right? And it's just, it, it's, it's how I show up, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, I show up to this conversation with love. I show up every time we see each other with love, with my kids. I, and, and I think that that's the, it's almost like the emotional, like the felt side. It's like, I, I'm good. Not I'm good there, but I feel very complete there. But there's this other part. I think it, it, it's the ego. It's like, I want, it's almost like the love of a, of a, let's be, let's be dramatic. Like the love of an internet stranger, right? It's almost like I want to hoard that because I would, it would make me feel even better mm-hmm. self. Less, mm-hmm. that's where the less ordinary comes in. I've asked people, would you rather have five people or 5,000 people at your funeral? Mm-hmm. And I know that if it's like Lisa, my two girls, you know, a couple of my best friends, like I'm not even there. So that's your first question. I'm like, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> but there's, if I think of the, there is a feeling. Sure. When I think of five versus 5,000, yeah. there's some feeling there and. And I don't know exactly, you know, I think the the easy answer is like ego, you know, like I want to know that more, like all things considered, would you rather have more people love you than less people? Like, I I guess so. But even that's very slippery of a, of a way. But I think, I think there is, I have traces and I've gotten so much, I've healed so much of this, but I've, I have traces of, um, conditional love for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think the ordinariness means you haven't done enough because you're ordinary. And so you get less, you get less love, special, more love, ordinary, less love. I think that's kind of the weird, and I see it for what it is now. I didn't see it for what it was for most of my adult life. So mm-hmm. it was, it, it's like not even knowing that the lions are there. It's just like lion, 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 right. like everywhere. Right. Like right. now I see it. So I can kind of sit with it. It, it doesn't mean I'm immune immune from it, but I wonder if the, if it's, it's certainly oversimplifying, but the internal versus external version of mattering, because the external, like external measurement of mattering, while I fall prey to the exact same thing. I mean, I happen to know that Amazon updates the, your book rank every hour. I know that because at 36 hours when behavior gap came out, I don't think I missed an hour, you know, 
which is terrible. I think I'm in a better place now, but the external version of mattering, what's interesting is there will never be enough of that. Yeah. Like if, and then I was also just thinking about like, I know some ordinary people who are the best people I know on the planet. Hmm. I've been to, I've been to funerals of people that have, would by all accounts be described as ordinary and, you know, like standing room only funerals. And the stories are just over and over and over. Like he never did anything giant or heroic, but man, that time he stopped by with some beats from the garden, you know? And I, I often think of like John Stockton is kind of a, one of these comparisons. Like there's no single moment of his career, except maybe that three pointer to send the Utah to the finals the first time, maybe, but that's a stretch. Even there's no single moment. It's just a consistent ordinariness over a really long period of time. And, and so I, that's when I said earlier, like I, half of me wants to just be ordinary. Like I, some of the best people I know, I can think of specific people in my neighborhood that are like, there's nothing extraordinary about them except their consistent ability to love and be there for you. And but there's no big heroic moment. Yeah. So I, I think those two things is what comes to mind. One, there's no amount of external mattering, mm-hmm. money, likes, followers, email list size. There's no amount, New York Times bestseller list. There's no amount that will be enough because yeah. you'll always want more. And then number two, like it may be that the key to like a real meaningful life might actually be being ordinary. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think of the, those, you know, a friend of mine's, a friend of a friend just passed her in his fifties, skin cancer, Mm -hmm. just incredible. I didn't know him, but just. He was a therapist. He was a, he played guitar in kind of the local rock band. He was a surfer and they had a, my wife went out with a friend to, they had a paddle out. So it's like a memorial where they, I, I told my daughters, like, don't talk about this, dad. I'm like, when it's my time, please throw my ashes into the ocean. Like I, I would love to go on a paddle out. So they had a paddle out and, and Lisa just said to me when she got back and she was in tears, she had never met this, this person. And she said, it just was so clear that everyone that he interacted with, he touched their lives. Wow. And it was so, and you know, look, he, he had a lot of accomplishments again, you know, no one within outside of the local community would probably, you know, know of him, but he was. You know, it was, it's great. He was kind of ordinary and extraordinary no, the, the, at the, the same time. The consistent level of ordin- ordinariness made yes. him extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of my, I think one of the tragic examples of this, and I don't like his life's not over, so it may not be tragic, but Lance Armstrong talks about this with like points it out in his first book, you know, there was no billboard for being a great dad or husband. This is before his, like talking about his divorce, like, you know, but there's all this other. So that's why I think we point it like, you know, I had somebody say to me the other day, like a business operator that was like, yeah, I know. I just want to be a little bit like Elon Musk. And I was like, did you just say that out loud? 
whatever that means. I'm not even going to comment on it. I just know like yeah. that doesn't anyway. It, yeah. It's so interesting how we hold up these heroic mm. things, and then you've got your friend with the paddle out, and people I'm thinking of in my neighborhood that the Beats friend. Yeah, there's no, there's never going to be. And I think this is what a lot of like stay-at-home parents and particularly traditionally stay-at-home moms are pointing to when they're like, there's no award. There's no billboard. And I'm doing the most important work on the planet. Or arguably, if you feel that way. One of the most, like my wife thing. feels that yeah. way. It's you know, the thing, work right? she chose to do is the most important heroic work ever because it involved being selfless and nobody knows yeah right she's not on podcasts she's not her book's not in the airport yeah. as we walk through you know so it's there's something about that that's super beautiful like quiet service over a long period like the holiest people i know yeah the people that yeah. i feel like when i'm in their presence i walk away i i recently learned this the people that I admire the most are the people that I walk away immediately after I think I help them. And then it takes me about three minutes to unwind that and go, oh my gosh, that person's a wizard. You know, like they were the ones serving me. Yeah. It wasn't me, you know. Hey, you know, ordinary, the, the fact that there are I forget exactly how you said it, but the like showing up in Insisting an ordinary, ordinary way, yeah, like, is what makes you extraordinary. But the other thing that I'm hearing in this is, is almost like I, I'm, I'm with you, and I, we have this. This is challenging in our marriage because Lisa says like people are celebrating you every single freaking minute of the day. You know, they're they're responding to your tweets. They're still, you know, and they're telling you how great you are as a writer at this she's like no one's no one's giving me that and it's a whole nother podcast she's like i wish you k gave me more of that right i don't even fucking need an internet stranger to do right. it i just want the person who sees it the most to right. say it and and what i what it this is really evoking in me is to and, and again i think i don't even i think as we talk through it, it's like ordinary feels like it almost has this implicit like pejorativeness to it right. where it really, it really shouldn't. Right. And it's kind of going, I always say going to the people who are doing amazing or showing up in an amazing way, doing their thing and, and making them feel seen. Right. I think that's like, cause the, the people who are quietly ordinary air quotes, doesn't mean that they don't, it doesn't feel nice for them to be seen, to be recognized, to be celebrated, right? And people like you and I, and a lot of the type A's listening to this episode, we have it in us because chances are, you know, lots of people are celebrating you, making you feel extraordinary. And so who is it in your life that is quietly extraordinary <laughs> and, and, might love to just that small gesture of of recognition of love of of being of enabling them to feel seen right mm -hmm. how special would that be for everyone yeah it's amazing it's amazing yeah i i'm 
I'm increasingly nervous about what that level early in our, you know, not early in our marriage, but like 15, or we've been married 28 years, 15 years ago, I used to come home from speaking engagements, you know, and there's just he kind of heady stuff. Like there's somebody there at the airport with a little sign, right? You get driven there, you give this talk, come home. And I used to come home and my wife, Corey, one of the very first things she would do is be like, Hey, the dog pooped in the backyard, go clean it up. I was always like, mm -hmm. so like, there's no. nobody here with a little sign for you, brother. Like, <laughs> go, go, go clean up the dog poop, which is yeah. so good. Such a beautiful, gentle, <laughs> a little yeah. bit in your face reminder of like, Hey, get back here because there's real stuff going on here that matters and it matters a lot and nobody's going to clap or celebrate for you but your daughter needs you to read to her tonight. Yes. You know, like, and that's the, mo that's the fabric of life. That's the reality. And the dog has pooped. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Sure. Oh man. So how do you, how do we even, is it even possible to like summarize? I, I, it's not an answer, but no. what, what, what did you, what did you? Well, I look, I think to me, this points to this fundamental tension that I think I'm trying to be better at realizing that one of the things that an adult mind should be able to do is hold two competing truths at, at the same time. And that, that it's a waste of time to try to resolve many of these tensions. And one of those tensions is let's do what we can to find our thing and live that way in the world so that we don't deny it. What was one of the other quotes we were, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. That was a Picasso. Like, let's find the gift. And it's actually not about finding it. It's just sort of the, the journey of uncovering and discovering and bumping up against rough edges. And that's this thing over here that sits in tension. And those of you listening, I'm using my hands a lot, like way over here. And then over on the other side, like a polarity is like, and you're just a normal cat who needs to do normal things. And your life will largely be judged on how you showed up at the normal times. Yes. Like we're all willing to die for something, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm but are you willing to actually live for the thing? Mm -hmm. Small, consistent. And I think resolve, like trying to resolve that tension to me is a waste of time. It's like to live into that tension of like, I need to do a better job of both of those things. And sometimes I need to do a way better job of giving the world my gift because I'm hiding. Yeah. And often I need to do a way better job of, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, the dog pooped in the backyard. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And that's, that's why every episode is a question. It's not necessary to, it's not to answer the question, but it's to right. explore the edges of it. So good. And, and kind of, we grow, I've grown from exploring the edges, right? Because I came from my my place of like not enoughness and you started with the place of like aliveness and the thing and the Dharma and then like kind of like watching them kind of fuse and dance with one another is what made what, what made this one of the things that made this conversation so so special to me. So mm -hmm. beautiful. Thanks. Well I thank you, my friend. It's been awesome. Well before we go, I always ask is there a, a, a creator or someone doing great, cool things that 
that more people need to know about so we can go you, share with them. You warned me about this question, and <laughs> I have to admit that I've, I've kind of had my head down, <laughs> focused on things that I consider relatively timeless right now. So Pema's work, you know, Greg McEwen's Essentialism, I'm rereading that. Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul, I'm re-listening to that. My, the only newest kick that I've been into lately is, I mean, I'm, it's funny to say like Morgan Housel's not new. Three million people know that he's not new, but I'm rereading some of Morgan's work as well. Yeah. So I, I've been in like a rereading thing, not a new creative thing, but I have noticed a bunch of really cool people doing really cool infographics, mm. which I've been jazzed about, like hand-drawn yeah. sketches. I've, like I'm seeing a lot of that, and I wish I could give names right off the top yes. of my head, but a lot of that lately that's got me excited. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, Carl, thank you. It's always like a so, it's soul-nourishing mm. to talk to you. It really, really is. And... A big reason why I want it, like I get to pick up the phone and call you and not everyone listening to this has, has that, 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 that great mm. privilege. Mm. So at least the least we can do is, is share, you know, some of the, this is, we literally would have had the same conversation if there was no, if nothing was recorded, right? Maybe right. we're like a, one less story on each of our sides and then, but yeah. we literally would have had the same conversation. So. So hey, thank good. you. Okay. Thank, thank you. And thanks for this project. Like, look, we all are aware you don't need to be doing it. And I, I'm just really grateful that you followed that feeling and, and who knows why. And the cool thing is you probably will never know why. And this is a good, great example of like the outcome doesn't actually matter. The, it's the, the, the process and the journey itself is really, really cool. So thanks for doing it. My pleasure. Where can people go find, find, follow, support your work? You know, what's the guy, funny comedian that now plays the banjo? You're going to know uh, him. Steve Martin? Yes. Yeah, I saw Steve Martin in concert a couple of years ago, and he said, you could follow me on Twitter, or you could do something meaningful with your lives, <laughs> which, I, which I absolutely love. So I don't really have any suggestion other than people. Apparently, people have liked the Behavior App Weekly Letter. So you just go to behavioriapp.com, and we send out a the greatest hits on repeat. So there's 52 of them. They, they repeat over and over every week in your inbox. Amazing. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. Thanks, Kay. Super fun.